Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The CBS Evening News, coming up next. Today's CBS Evening News podcast is sponsored by Ancestry. Ancestry can help you discover your origins, build a family tree, and search historical records, giving you more ways to connect with your family. It can even spark some interesting new conversations around the dinner table. Visit Ancestry.com to learn more. Breaking news tonight, crisis in the Middle East. The Pentagon says the U.S. will not leave Iraq after that country's parliament votes to kick American forces out. Tonight, the chilling video showing threats to U.S. soldiers. Heightened alert, U.S. bases stepping up security. As soldiers are told, they now have 18 hours to be ready to deploy overseas. Vowing revenge, millions pour into the streets of Iran after the U.S. drone strike on that country's top general. Tonight, the Iranians say the U.S. will face painful consequences. Our correspondent is in Iran. Star witness, President Trump's former national security advisor says he's ready to testify. What John Bolton could tell the Senate that could change the impeachment trial. New charges, disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein indicted on serious new offenses. What they could mean as his trial for rape gets underway in New York. The truth will prevail. Harvey will be held accountable for his actions. Unidentified flying mystery. Why do dozens of large drones keep showing up in the skies of Colorado? Wheeled away, passengers watch in horror as the wheel drops off a plane during takeoff. Major settlement, the world's largest furniture retailer says it will pay tens of millions after children are killed by falling dressers. What you need to know. And how a teacher's promise and modern technology kept a young musician's dream alive. 
This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. We're going to begin with breaking news, because tonight the Pentagon says the U.S. has no plans to pull troops out of Iraq, and it's putting soldiers here at home on alert to deploy. The U.S. drone strike that killed Iran's top general is causing a ripple effect around the world. So many mourners filled the streets of Iran, they could be seen from space. The Iranian regime is threatening revenge, targeting U.S. forces, and security has been stepped up at bases across the globe. And tonight, President Trump is not backing down on his threat to target Iran, including some of its cultural sites. Our team is covering every angle of this story, from Washington to Baghdad and Tehran. David Martin leads us off tonight at the Pentagon. David. Nor the Secretary of Defense could not have been more emphatic. The U.S. military is not about to leave the country it invaded 17 years ago. Iraq's acting prime minister met with the U.S. ambassador to discuss how to implement the resolution, which is not yet binding. But Defense Secretary Esper, talking with reporters off camera, said the U.S. is staying. There's been no decision whatsoever to leave Iraq. There is no decision to leave, nor do we issue any plans to leave or prepare to leave. Rumors of an American pullout were sparked by the draft of a letter from an American general to his Iraqi counterpart about measures to ensure that the movement out of Iraq is conducted in a safe and efficient manner. But the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, disowned the draft. It was a mistake, an honest mistake, a draft, unsigned letter because we are moving forces around and we have increased helicopter movement in Iraq. The pullout would mean the end of the campaign against ISIS, which for now is suspended as the U.S. reinforces and repositions the 5,000 troops inside Iraq to protect against the threat of attacks in retaliation for the drone strike which killed Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani. U.S. military bases all over the world are tightening security including Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which just sent thousands of paratroopers rushing to the Persian Gulf. Brianna Ferry's husband was one of them. We thought it was a drill at first, and then he called and said, hey, you need to come say goodbye to me. I don't know when I'm going to be back. A U.S. defense official says the first 24 to 36 hours after the end of the official mourning period for Soleimani could tell whether Iran intends to make good on its vows of revenge. Nora. All right, David, thank you. Now, the likely targets of any attack would be U.S. military installations. Right now, there are more than 60,000 Americans deployed in the Middle East. That includes an aircraft carrier group. Those in Iraq may be at the highest risk of attack. Holly Williams reports tonight from Baghdad. Nora, the fear here in Iraq is that there will be revenge attacks against U.S. bases and service members by Iran or its proxies. In a chilling video that was posted online, supporters of Iran-backed militias have threatened to retaliate by killing American troops. The American ambassador here in Baghdad was told by Iraq's prime minister today that U.S. troops should leave the country. That follows the resolution passed by Iraq's parliament. There are about 5,000 U.S. troops here in Iraq, here for the fight against ISIS. Over the last five years, we've witnessed them combating the extremists in the desert. But now, fearing reprisals by Iran, the U.S. military has paused its operations against ISIS here in Iraq. Nora. All right, Holly, thank you. 
Tonight, the mourning continues in Iran. The capital was filled today by a sea of mourners, the largest gathering in decades. The procession stretched nearly four miles as Iran's leaders made new vows to avenge the death of its top general. Our Elizabeth Palmer was in the crowd. In Tehran, an estimated million people joined in an epic salute to Qasem Soleimani. Iran's Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei wept as he led the prayer service for his friend and ally, the man he had worked with so closely to expand Iran's influence across the Middle East. This is not just a mourning procession, it's a political message designed to demonstrate that all Iranians are united in anger and in outrage against the United States. I just uh, say the sentence uh, the, for the President Trump. You deep your grave. Soleimani's daughter was also on hand. Her father's death, she said, would bring dark days to America. If Iran does retaliate with force, it's likely to involve Hassan Nasrallah and Hezbollah, a battle-hardened Iranian proxy force based in Lebanon, but thought to have global reach. It was the U.S. military that killed Soleimani, said Nasrallah, and it will pay. But he emphasized that American civilians would not be targeted. There's already been some political fallout from the assassination. Iran has announced it's pretty much withdrawing from the nuclear deal and going back to enriching as much uranium as it likes. Nora? All right, Elizabeth in Tehran tonight, thank you. We learned today that the White House will brief senators on Wednesday about the intelligence that led to the strike on Soleimani. As for the president, he has no regrets. Weijia Zhang reports tonight from the White House. Back at the White House after his Florida vacation, President Trump today dismissed fears of a brewing world war and defended his decision to kill Soleimani. He should have been taken out a long time ago, and we had a shot at it, and we took him out. And we're a lot safer now because of it. The president has also not backed down from his threat to respond to further Iranian aggression by targeting 52 Iranian sites, including some important to the Iranian culture. Attacking cultural sites could be considered a war crime under international law. Today, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper said the U.S. would not do it. We will follow the laws of armed conflict. Esper is the third senior administration official uh, to we, publicly contradict Mr. Trump. He didn't say he's targeting cultural sites. President Trump didn't say he'd go after a cultural site. Read, read what he said. On Face the Nation, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also insisted all the president's national security advisors were on board with the strike against Soleimani. There was unanimity that we were making the right decision. But CBS News has learned some military commanders were opposed because of possible retaliation by Iran. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is planning a vote this week to limit the president's military actions against Iran as Democrats demand more answers about the Soleimani attack. The Trump administration is scheduled to brief congressional leaders tomorrow and all lawmakers on Wednesday. Nora. Weijia, thank you. Michael Morrell is a former acting director of the CIA and a CBS News national security contributor. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. How close are we to war with Iran? Nora, I think we're closer to war than any time in the last 30 years. Given the president's red line, we're one dead American away. 
So as the morning period ends, what I'm most concerned about is a missile attack in Iraq against a U.S. diplomatic or military facility that kills an American, thereby forcing the president to either live up to his red line and attack Iran, in which case we're at war, or he doesn't do that and he looks weak. So what types of attacks are U.S. security forces preparing for from Iran? So in the immediate term, I think we're looking at two possible attacks. One is Shia militia forces aligned with Iran in places like Syria, Lebanon, Bahrain, places in the Middle East, um, attacking U.S. targets. Um, the second is cyber attacks against the United States. The Iranians have become more sophisticated that over the years. And over the longer term, we're looking at an assassination somewhere in the world of a senior U.S. official of equivalence in the Iranian mind to General Soleimani. Which would be devastating. What about the Iraqis have voted to push out all U.S. forces from Iraq? How would that affect our national security? If we had to leave, and there's no guarantee that we will have to leave, we'll see, but if we had to leave, there would be three winners. One would be the Iranians, whose entire goal was to get us out of Iraq, and it would be ironic if our killing of General Soleimani resulted in that. That was his goal. Two would be ISIS. We've taken away the caliphate, but ISIS still exists, and without U.S. forces there, it could grow again into a major problem. And third would be the Russians, because they sit in Syria, and they're looking to extend their influence eastward. Michael, thank you. Even as the crisis unfolds in the Middle East, there is a major development here at home in the impeachment of President Trump. John Bolton, the president's former national security advisor, said today that if subpoenaed, he will testify in a Senate trial. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill. Thank you. It's a major change of heart from a key witness. Ambassador John Bolton was a no-show during the House impeachment inquiry, but now says he is willing to reject a presidential directive not to testify if subpoenaed by the Republican-led Senate. Ambassador Bolton had looked pained. Bolton's concerns about the pressure campaign on Ukraine were well-documented. This drug deal is... Bolton called it. The House voted to impeach President Trump three weeks ago for pushing Ukraine to investigate campaign rival Joe Biden. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has yet to transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate as Democrats push for the Senate to call new witnesses like Bolton in the trial to come. Tell us why here in the Senate witnesses and documents should not come forward that are directly relevant to the charges against the president of the United States of America. But the Senate's Republican leader said again today that a decision on witnesses should be made mid-trial, not now. That was good enough for President Clinton, so it ought to be good enough for President Trump. Fair is fair. A few Senate Republicans said today they're interested in hearing what Bolton has to say and that it might even be favorable to the president. But allowing him to testify could open the door to other witnesses that the White House tried to block the first time around, Nora. All right, we will stay tuned. Nancy, thank you. Tonight, disgraced movie producer Harvey Weinstein is facing new charges of rape and sexual assault. The additional charges were filed in Los Angeles today, just as Weinstein's New York trial is about to begin. Jerika Duncan reports. Less than five hours after Harvey Weinstein appeared in New York State Supreme Court at a hearing for his criminal trial. My office has charged Harvey Weinstein 
with sexually assaulting two women in Los Angeles County. The L.A. County District Attorney says the alleged incidents happened during Oscars week of 2013, just days before Weinstein was photographed there with his then wife. In documents filed today, Weinstein's accused of raping a woman after he forced himself inside her Los Angeles hotel room on February 18, 2013. A second woman alleges that Weinstein sexually assaulted her the next night inside the bathroom of his Beverly Hills suite. If convicted as charged in the case, defendant Weinstein faces up to 28 years in state prison. In New York, the 67-year-old has been charged with rape, criminal sexual act, and predatory sexual assault of two women and faces up to life in prison. Weinstein told CBS News he expects to be exonerated in the New York case. But tonight, his legal team says they are not prepared to comment on the most recent charges. Jerika Duncan, CBS News, New York. Now to this story. The FBI, FAA, and U.S. Air Force are investigating a mystery in the skies over Colorado and Nebraska, where swarms of drones have been spotted, sometimes in formation. But who's flying them? Janet Shamlian with new clues tonight. That's not a plane. For the last That's week, Michelle Eckhoff has spotted a high-flying nighttime mystery above her rural northern Colorado home. Drones. Sometimes a dozen or more with wingspans six feet wide. The sky is lit up with Christmas lights, basically. There's, there's lights and things flying all over. Sheriff's departments across the border area of three states have been flooded with similar reports since mid-December. I think whomever is responsible for it will probably have a little bit of answering to do to the general public. The military and local companies have denied responsibility. There's one hovering over here. We waited with Ekhoff until the sun went down and the skies lit up. It's been dark for about a half hour, and we are seeing drones all over the sky. They appear as little twinkling lights. Sometimes there's just one, but in other cases, we've seen clusters of six or more. Tonight, there are still more questions than answers, and residents are feeling vulnerable. It feels like an invasion of privacy almost. And a new development late today. One of the sheriff's offices says it is now looking for a closed box trailer with antenna or a large suspicious van and is asking anyone who has seen it to call authorities. Nora. All right, Janet, keep us posted. Today, furniture giant Ikea agreed to pay a record $46 million to the family of a two-year-old in California, Joseph Dudek, who was killed when a dresser fell on him in 2017. Ikea has already paid a total of $50 million to settle three earlier suits following the death of children killed in similar accidents. Just as a plane was going wheels up from Montreal, the situation suddenly became wheels off. This was the frightening view from an Air Canada Express flight. Flames shooting from one of the wheels before it fell off. The pilot turned the plane around and landed safely on its five remaining tires. We've got a spoiler alert for you. Our next story ends on a happy note. That doesn't make it any less remarkable. Here's Maria Villarreal. All right, will you guys play your D-strings together? Teaching first-time musicians at Austin Middle School is challenging for Carly Addison, but helping a student like Kayla Arqueta achieve her dream is exactly why she became a teacher. I think that every kid deserves a chance to experience music education, and for us not to let Kayla play in the orchestra, then we failed everyone. When you first came to talk to the teacher, 
What did she say? That she's going to find a way to help me, like, play the, the instrument. She told me it's going to be possible. The instrument is the cello. The challenge, 11-year-old Kayla was born missing the lower portion of her left arm. Were you at all worried, though, at one point? You're like, ooh, I really hope I can live up to this promise. Yes, but it's hard to explain it. The doors opened up so quickly for this. One of the doors Addison found open was three miles away at Nimitz High School. The thing is, I was either going to jump on board or get left behind because she was going to solve it one way or another. Engineering teacher Dwight Davidson enlisted six of his top seniors to create a prosthetic limb for Kayla. I need to help this girl because it makes me feel a better person. The students plotted and then printed a hard plastic prosthetic on a 3D printer. I just like to slip it on. Oh, well that's simple enough, isn't it? The device acts as her left hand while her right maneuvers the cords. The performer and the prosthetic made their public debut at the school's winter program. The night celebrated a triumph of technology, a teacher's promise, and a young musician's dream. Mireya Villarreal, CBS News, Irving, Texas. And a beautiful performance it was. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, as tensions rise between the U.S. and Iran, we will sit down for an exclusive interview with Vice President Mike Pence. Stay tuned. And that's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Happy New Year and good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 